It's good to be with you again this morning, and I uh, hope you're looking forward to Christmas. If you're not, if you haven't bought your presents, guys, it's just a couple of weeks left. So uh, the clock is ticking, and it's uh, around the corner. But what I want to speak to you this morning about is God's grace, and I guess in many ways, when we're thinking about Christmas, we're thinking about God's great gift we're thinking about his great gift to us which is found in jesus and in that way i guess it's apt thinking about christmas thinking about god's uh, grace being a good gift to us uh, an amazing gift to us so i want us to turn back to uh, ephesians uh, chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 and we're going to be looking through that this morning and we're also going to be flicking a, a little bit to, to Romans as well but uh, mostly in Ephesians so just thinking about God's grace first of all I want to ask you a question this morning and that question is this it's a personal question you know I like to ask personal questions it's the way that it goes is God's grace sufficient for you in your life today is God's grace sufficient for you in your life today something to think about God's grace is a free gift and I guess when we think about Christmas we we give each other gifts and sometimes we'll get a gift and we'll open that gift up and, I don't know, we'll, we'll take the um, you know, sort of wrapping paper off with Christmas trees on it and we'll open up this, this big jumper and we'll say, and it's got a big reindeer, the, you know, Rudolph the reindeer on it or something, and we'll say, oh, that's, that's great, thanks very much, thanks for that, that jumper, that's just what I always wanted, that's, that's just really good. But even though we get that present that we might not like or we might like we don't generally turn around to somebody and say right thanks for giving me that uh, Rudolph the reindeer jumper Um, how much was it I need to give you the money for that Uh, it was £21.99 £21.99 okay let me write you a check out for that I'm just going to write a check out for that gift that you've given me and uh, I'll settle up with you You know, the person would say that's absurd to say that I'm giving you this gift for Christmas and you're wanting to give me the £21.99 back. That doesn't make sense. It's a gift. Take it. It's free. It's for you. I bought it for you. And we're thinking about God's grace this morning being sufficient for us. And it is a free gift that is sufficient to those who believe in Jesus Christ. The price has been paid by Christ. And yet so often... What we want to do as human beings is trying to earn God's favour. And we want to pay back the price for the gift that he's given to us. Because it almost seems as if there's a catch that if we said, if I was to say to you this morning, okay, he'd like five pounds. Me. You would like five pounds? Okay, good. Okay, good. I'm not going to give you five pounds. But if I was to give you five pounds and I gave you the five pounds... Some people have been saying, what's the catch here? He's given him five pounds. And often when it comes to somebody giving a free gift or something outrageous, it's like, or extravagant, it's like, what's this all about? This is a free gift. Uh, There must be a catch here somewhere. I must have to do something in order to earn this free gift. Maybe you've had something through your letterbox saying, you know, you can have a free holiday or a free TV set or a free iPod. And you're like, wait a minute, where is the catch we don't get things for free. There must be something I must do 
in order to pay back the price for this. In Romans 3.23, familiar words maybe to some of us, uh, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All have sinned. So all have sinned and are in a position of sin, but actually are freed and are freely saved by God's grace through the redemption that came, came through Christ Jesus. So that we cannot come into a relationship this morning with Jesus Christ unless we recognise the work that Jesus has done on the cross, that we can be redeemed and freely justified by his grace. Nothing that we can do, but it's of God. Back to the passage that we read in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 5 say, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Let's just unpack that for a little moment. A person, before they become a Christian, is spiritually dead. They're not just a little bit drowsy. They're not just a little bit sleepy or apathetic, but they are spiritually dead. A person, before they become a Christian, is dead in sin. That is their status before God. And if you're not a Christian this morning, sadly, that is your status before God, that you are dead in sin. For those who are Christians here this morning, before you were a Christian, you were dead in sin. I was once dead in sin. I've not been a Christian all my life. When I became a Christian, I became alive in Christ. But before that, I was dead in sin. And as a Christian, I'm now alive. And I come, I've come to this place where I've repented and asked for forgiveness. And I've moved from this position of being dead to being alive. Dead, alive. A great contrast. But a true reality for those people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the important thing to remember about that is this, is that for those people that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in moving from a position of being dead in sin to being alive in Christ, that means is that you will always be alive in Christ as you remain in him. It's not a case of this morning saying that I'm, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm alive in Christ here on Sunday morning. Then you get up on Monday morning and suddenly you're dead. You're spiritually dead. And on Tuesday you wake up and oh, you're alive in Christ again. But when on Wednesday you're, you're suddenly dead again. And Thursday, oh, I'm alive again. And, and Friday I'm dead. But sometimes that's the way Christian believers go on. The battle with sin, oh, it's too great. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm sinful. I'm dead. One day dead, the next day alive. One day dead, the next day alive. But the person who's come to a belief and faith in Jesus Christ has been made alive. No longer dead. No longer dead, but alive. Alive. As they've died with Christ, crucified with Christ. Been made alive through him. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, it takes this, in many ways, further. In in the way it says, in uh, verse 11 of of Romans chapter 6, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This takes us further. Not only are we alive, but dead to sin. 
So previously we are thinking about being dead in sin, but actually dead to sin. So that means to say that sin no longer has a hold on the believer. That actually we are dead to sin. That God's grace has set us free. That we are no longer sin's master. And when we think about God's grace, we say, well, hold on a minute, how can I get my head? How come I'm dead to sin? You see, the thing is, what you've got to realise is, I've become a Christian, but actually, how can I be dead to sin? We're dead to sin, no longer a slave of sin, but we're a slave of righteousness, as it says elsewhere in Romans. That we've been made alive in Christ, that we've been put in the right position before him, that we've been justified, that when Christ looks at the believer, he says that you are mine. And the point when you go to, to heaven, whether Christ returns or when, whether you die, when you get to heaven, it's not going to be a case of saying, well, actually, you know, who are you? It would be a case of Christ saying, he is mine or she is mine. I've paid the price for that person. And when we think of that, that is the freeing aspect of God's grace. Because one day we're up, the next day we're down, one day we feel the burden of sin, the next day we're alive. But in actual fact, we're dead to sin. Alive in Christ. Dead to sin. Alive in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 to 9 of the passage that we read. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. So we can be saved by grace through faith. Not ourselves or works. It's not down to what we do. It's not down to us trying to better ourselves. But actually it's by faith. It's by exercising faith in God. How many people here, just feel free, this is not a rhetorical question, so please put your hand up. Feel free to do this. How many people here have taken a driving test? Okay, quite a number of people. How many people enjoyed your driving test? <laughs> well, maybe one or two people, might possibly, swithering <laughs> at the end, depending on the passing. How many people found it stressful doing your driving test? Stressful experience. I first took my test when I was about 19. Probably unlike Grant, he probably took it on his... 17th birthday or something but um, I was not uh, really ready for my test and uh, like many people taking their driving test I thought I was ready but I, I failed my test and the first time I thought you know what I don't think I was ready for it I failed my test the second time I took it I thought I'm ready for this and I actually uh, took it in Granton Spay where I was living at the time and, and got in the car and I went about 200 yards down the road and the car stalled and it wouldn't start for the life of it and it was a mechanical failure. So having felt ready to do my test, got in the car, it wouldn't start. I was, I was done and dusted. There was no way I was going to be able to get round if the car wasn't moving. And the third time I took my test, which I like to say officially is my second time, because the second time was mechanical, <laughs> I took my test and passed it. But driving tests, as you know, those of you who've taken a test and probably failed at least one of them driving tests do not leave a lot of room for grace 
you either pass the test or you don't. You're not sitting there driving around in your car in the driving test and you suddenly decide to do a bit of a wheel spin at the lights as you turn off. Or you do, you know, you decide to kind of put your hand out the window and sort of, you know, sort of eat an ice cream while you're going along. And the instructor doesn't say, well, do you know what, I don't think you're too bad a driver. You've messed up a couple of times. You're a bit relaxed when you're eating that ice cream. But I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm just going to give you a pass. I just, it's a nice sunny day, I'm going to give you a pass. Driving tests don't work like that, do they? You have to have it right. You've got to have exactly the right amount of points that they need you to do. They check, they tick the box and take the things that you've done, whether it's your three-point turn or whether it's your reversing or whether it's to keep looking in the mirror every second or whatever it is. You have to have it right. Have to have it right. When, if any of you have been to university or college, you know, you don't do two years of, of a, a university degree and think, you know what, I don't want to get out of bed anymore. I'd much sooner watch, you know, daytime TV. I think I'll just relax and see what happens. And then you turn up six months later and your tutor says, do you know what, I think you're quite a good student. I think I'll give you your degree anyway. You don't have to do any exams. I think I'll just give you it. That's fine. It doesn't work like that. And so with the driving test and with, with passing an exam or, or getting a degree or something, you have to have it right. You have to pass. You have to be exact. You have to make the mark. And in many ways, prior to grace, we had to make the mark. We had to obey the law. We had to get it right, follow it to the very dotting the I and crossing the T. But the law didn't work, did it? The law did not save people. It did not redeem people. It did not allow people to enter into that kind of relationship that we can have with God's grace. Because when we become a Christian, it's not about us getting it right. It's not about us ticking the boxes. But it's about us recognising that we haven't got it right. And that by exercising faith and belief in Jesus Christ is that we're enabled to become a Christian, recognising that we've messed up, that we need to be forgiven, and that that forgiveness goes on and on and on, and it's unconditional. A person doesn't become a Christian, and like the uh, driving examiner, suddenly when you mess up after about a day of becoming a Christian, God doesn't turn and say, well, wait a minute, you've messed up there, you're out, you failed. If that was the case, I'd have failed a long time ago. But God is gracious and forgiving and his forgiveness and his grace is extended and it's eternal and it goes on and on and it's lavish and it's outrageous. And it's poured out to those who are willing to ask for forgiveness and enter into that relationship with Christ who were once dead, now made alive. And being alive in Christ means that we can experience that grace. Bono, who is a lead singer of a, quite a big rock band from Ireland called U2, in his book called Bono on Bono, which is quite an interesting read, says that I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be finally my judge. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity and that is so true and the world that we live in 
many students that I meet as, as I work with is very much about the vibe, you know, the karma. If you do good, you'll get good back. If you do bad, you'll get bad back. And the reality is, is that is not the way that God sees things. He looks at us as being either somebody who is alive in him, justified, made righteous in Christ, or not. And if we're not, we're under God's wrath. We're either for him or we're against him. And it's not about us whether we do good or whether we do good works or whether we try and better ourselves as people, but it's about what Christ has done. Not what we do, but what Christ has done for us. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we're in Christ Jesus, and we'll say, well, I'm no good. I mess up. I keep messing up. I keep falling into sin. I keep doing this. I keep doing that. There is no condemnation. We don't need to be seeing ourselves as dirty, rotten sinners, but as people that are actually saved by God's grace, set free, living in the light of who he is. Our new identity is found in Christ, not religion or anything else. And it's not about us, but Jesus taking that garbage, that mess in our life, and that we've been put right before God. It's quite possible, as somebody who who maybe says that you're a Christian this morning, that you're quite good at beating yourself up. You know, I know I'm alive in Christ, yeah, I've been made right before God. But I I feel rotten. I I mess up. You know, I'm no good. There's other people that are a lot more spiritual, more holy than me. I sin. I do wrong. I keep failing. And the easy option for us to try and move forward as a Christian is we'd rather sooner give ourselves like ten lashes, beat ourselves up because then we can somehow feel better for it. But we don't need to do that. That if we become a Christian and we've been made alive in, in Christ, that we've been put right before God, we need to see our identity is in Christ and that is the position that we're in and that we move and we operate in that. And so that when we come to an understanding of God's grace, and it's quite possible this morning is that at some time in our life we made a commitment and we said, I I believe in you, Jesus, and I ask for forgiveness, but actually maybe haven't understood fully what God's grace is. And I know that because for myself it is something that has just become more of a reality over the past few years. And I know as I work with students that there are many students who beat themselves up. I'm not a good enough Christian. If only I could be more like this or be like that. And it may be this morning is that we hear about God's grace is that a light goes on in our head and there's a reality that says, actually, it's not about me. It's about Christ. It's about my identity being in Christ and out of that I live my life. This is how I live my life. I am free in Christ. That is my position before God rather than beating ourselves up. Turn with me briefly to Romans. Um, I just want to look at these verses very briefly but just a bit more than the previous ones. We're going to look at uh, Romans chapter 6 and verses 20 to 22. Romans chapter 6, 20 to 22. Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. 
What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what quite often we hear is the verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, as a single text, often out of context, without understanding what went on before it. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, comes in the light and in the understanding of what it means to be a slave. And you say, well, I don't want to hear about being a slave. You know, we're living in 2005. I'm I'm my own man, I'm my own woman. How dare you say we talk about slaves? That's something years ago, isn't it? Well, of course it was practically about something years ago, but what we're talking about here is a perfect illustration of what God is saying. And what he's saying in verse verse 20 is that if we've been a slave to sin, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. So being a slave to sin... Glorying and reveling in sin. Oh, we went out on Saturday night. You should have seen what we did. Oh, I had, you know, five lagers and three whiskeys, and we did this. And you should have seen him, and they were doing that. And they were, oh, you know, sinning was such good fun, and you're reveling in sin, having a good time thinking about what sin does and all the short term benefits of that. When you were in that position, you were free from the control of righteousness. So, what benefit was that? If you're in that position this morning, you're free from the control of righteousness. You're free from the control of actually being made right in Christ. So what's the benefit of going on sinning? Oh, it seems like it's good fun and it's great. But actually, being free from the control of righteousness means that actually we're missing out on the amazing glory of who Jesus is. So what's the point in doing short-term sinning? When you were slaves to sin... You were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? What's one of the side uh, spins of sin? Guilt. The things that we're ashamed of. Are the things that we're ashamed of found in Christ and in God's grace? No. The things that we're ashamed of and the guilt that we sense is found in sin and being ashamed of the fact that we've been rebellious towards God. And the ultimate result of that is death. The ultimate result of sinning and doing those things is death. But the complete opposite is true. That when actually we're a slave to righteousness, so that when that rope is taken off our head and you're a slave, you are a slave to sin, and that rope is taken off and at the market we are bought by the price of Jesus and the rope is put around our head and he said, you come with me because you're one of my children. You are a child of God. You're in this right position. When we're put into that position, actually, what are the benefits of that? What are the benefits of being a slave to righteousness? Well, actually, being a slave to righteousness, actually, what it says in verse 22 is the benefit you reap leads to holiness. Being a slave to righteousness, being made alive in Christ, leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but actually... The gift of God is eternal life. And that's because we're understanding it in that context that actually being a slave to righteousness results in the fact that actually what comes of that is fruit. What comes of being a slave to sin, actually what comes of it is, is garbage. It's things that ultimately lead to death. 
And so we ultimately want to be people that are slaves to righteousness, that are understanding that we are saved by God's grace. Let's flick back to Ephesians 2 and we'll come to a close with this. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I guess what this is many ways saying is this is that God's grace is in a context and that is that he has a plan and a purpose for our lives to do good works which he's prepared for us in advance to do. And so being people that are made righteous, that have been made alive in Christ, that are being put in a right position before God, it's not as if we're then in a vacuum. Right, it's great, I'm saved by grace, what do I do? Uh, Wait around for eternity. We actually have great good works prepared for us in advance to do. God has a plan and a purpose for our life and he loves us and he cares for us and he wants us, if we're in Christ, to be living out the plan and the purpose that he has for our life. For us to do good works, to do what he's called us to do, to be who we are in Christ. And maybe it is that you've been a Christian for a number of years and you struggle to understand this whole relationship between being free in Christ and being saved by God's grace. And it's quite possible this morning that you feel the burden of sin on your life. The getting up on the Monday morning isn't a particularly joyous thing, not just because it's dark these days. And because you're coming towards the end of a school term or you're coming towards the end of getting near the Christmas holidays or whatever it is. But actually it's because you feel the weight and the burden of sin and it's looking at your life from a different perspective rather than looking at how God sees you, you're starting to see how you see yourself. And actually God looks at us as people, those who are believers in Christ, as righteous, as a royal royal people as as princes and princesses a royal priesthood people made special because of what God has done in Christ and maybe this morning you feel that burden and you, you feel the tendency and it feels good to revert back to works to the law Yes, if I only could read my Bible more, if I could only sing a bit louder, if I could only pray more, if I only could do this or that more, then I'd be more holy, I'd be more righteous, and God would love me more, other people would think this or that of me. If I could just only try, and it's like seriosity, you know, we're kind of trying to be so seriously, it must be holy, must be holy, must be righteous, must be, must be, must be more of this. Beating ourselves up. And actually, God has made us righteous. We are holy because of who Christ is. And as we remain in him and live our lives out, the effort that we have should be grace-driven and not our own effort. We live our lives because of what God's grace has done in it, and we live out of that. And when we get a picture and an understanding in our heads and our hearts that this is God's grace, and as it filters into our life, we should want to get up in the morning and read the Bible. We should want to be praying. We should be wanting to tell people about Jesus because of that lavish understanding of God's grace. Not because it's duty. Not just because this person over here or that person over there thinks that I'll be a better Christian, but because of what Christ has done in return and in joy and love of who he is. Out of that relationship is an overflow of his grace that we just say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saved by grace this morning. No longer dead in sin, but alive in Christ. It's a different day because of what Christ has done in my life. My identity is found in him. 
And as we come to a close, let me just read you this quote. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Is God's grace sufficient? Yes, it is. 100%. It's sufficient because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And we can be assured that as we remain in him, we are alive in Christ. No longer seen as people who are sinners, but alive in Christ. So maybe it's this morning, as God has been speaking through his word, is that maybe a light has gone on in your head, that maybe for the first time you've come to understand what it is to maybe be, become a Christian. And that would be fantastic this morning if that's what God has revealed to you. Or maybe it is this morning that, as God has been speaking through his word, is that actually you recognise that you're one of these people that likes to beat yourself up about being a bad sinner when in actual fact you're alive in Christ. And maybe it is, it's just thanking God for his grace. Thanking him for what he's done in your life. And asking him to increase your understanding daily of his love and his grace. That that might be an overflow into other people's lives as you live your life for him. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we recognise that we, we don't deserve your love, but yet you are so incredibly gracious. You are amazing, and your love is unconditional. It is poured out, and you keep on loving us. And so this morning I pray, particularly for those here who maybe don't know you, that there's an opportunity to come into that relationship with Christ this morning to pray for forgiveness believing that you are God the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and asking and accepting your grace this morning and there's an opportunity for those two of us as believers to be more grateful and thankful for your grace and to live in the light of your grace help us this morning to be people that don't revert back to the law that don't live by works but actually recognise that we are free that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ we thank you for that this morning and we praise you for that that you died on the cross that we might be free we thank you that we are free indeed in Jesus name Amen